Hello again, everyone. This is the podcast, The Leaves for a Victim Nevermore with Stephen Wilson. My name is Stephen Wilson, and I am a drug addict in recovery. This show is for people who identify as victims of abuse or drug addiction. I am active in Narcotics Anonymous, and I am also active in group therapy for the adult survivors of childhood sex abuse. This show is about dealing with my own story and in a way is a form of therapy for myself. Today's show is going to be dealing with something that we were talking about in group last week. And I'm just now getting ready for it now. But if you've been paying attention, if you've been listening, I open up every podcast episode with a bit of verse from a poem, poet, writer that I enjoy. It may or may not have anything to do with the actual podcast episode. I just felt the need to break it out and read it. So today, we're going to be going into the world of Theodore Redke. This one is from 1964, The Far Field, and the poem is entitled, I Waited. I waited for the wind to move the dust, but no wind came. I seemed to eat the air. The meadow insects made a level noise. I rose a heavy bulk above the field. It was as if I tried to walk in hay, deep in the mow, and each step deeper down, or floated on the surface on a pond, the slow, long ripples winking in my eyes. I saw all things through water, magnified and shimmering. The sun burned through a haze, and I became all that I looked upon. I dazzled in the dazzle of a stone. And then a jackass brayed. A lizard leaped my foot. Slowly I came back to the dusty road. And then I walked. My feet seemed deep in sand. I moved like some heat-weary animal. I went, not looking back. I was afraid. The way grew steeper between stony walls, then lost itself down through a rocky gorge. A donkey path led to a small plateau. Below the bright sea was the level waves, and all the winds came toward me. I was glad. That was the poem I waited from Theodore Redke's 1964, The Far Field. Today's show is going to be dealing with something that we dealt with in group last week. And I decided to name this Scarecrow, Regrets Were Once Decisions. Now, To begin, if we were to go to Webster Dictionary and look up word regret, number one, 
the definition is feel sorry about. Perhaps referencing that a regret might be a form of apology or something that needs to be apologized for. Number two, feeling of loss or sorrow. Now this number two would imply that perhaps a regret could be in the form of grief or someone grieving. Now, according to Webster, Scarecrow, it only has one definition. It is an object set up in a field to frighten birds away from planted seed. Now, I use the analogy. I use a scarecrow because that's, in a way, what I feel like an addict can be. We keep people away from our field. We keep people away from our crop. But we also keep people away from the truth of what we really are. And we also keep ourselves away from the things that we have done. Concomitantly, the junkie, the addict, could be apologizing and grieving at the same time. But what about the viewer? What about the person walking along a path and they see a field and they see a scarecrow? But they look upon the field and they see something that they do not comprehend as being worth saving. The birds don't even bother to fly past the field anymore because nothing grows there. There is nothing worth protecting. When you start acknowledging, when you are in detox, and you've got to start dealing with the damage that you have done. I found it to be quite humiliating. If you've been paying attention, 2021 was a, well, it was probably the worst year of my life. But it was also making through the muck, getting through all of the crap that I started realizing what I had become and what I had done. And in therapy, in psychology, in social work, in the social sciences, if you wait about 15 minutes, somebody is going to try to come up with something. They're going to put on a bumper sticker or a hashtag or maybe a t-shirt. It appears that people that are not degreed try to make up for it in some form of cleverness. When I was in the hospital and I had a mental health team, the psychiatrist, the social worker, even the priest and the pastor that had PhDs, they all kept telling me that I was too smart to be in here. They didn't understand because I was surrounded by people that didn't graduate high school or they'd been in prison. Once they find out about my resume, they thought that someone so accomplished should not be in this kind of predicament. Their life should have turned out differently. Mr. Wilson 
do not understand why you are here. And I found that to be quite offensive. And I had to go back twice. And every time, they made me feel like crap. But it was quite obvious they were not afraid. The psychiatrist backed off a little bit when I decided to, well, when I actually had somewhat control of my faculties, how they would do. I don't understand pharmacology now because they knew that I had just dropped acid and <laughs> within 48 hours they decided to jack me up on lithium, which makes no sense. I mean, I'm not going to go into pharmacology or biochemistry, but I will tell you it makes no sense at all. But that's exactly what they did. Which is part of the reason that I have about three months of 2021 I don't remember. But I do remember the way they made me feel. Because it kept going over and over. Mr. Wilson, we do not understand why you are here. You don't fit in with all these other people. These other people were depressed. They, they try to take their life. They're addicted to meth. Whatever the reason. And I can tell you that even though they did save my life, I did plan on killing myself and it had nothing to do with being a cry for help. It wasn't until I was able to get hold of some intellect that they backed off the pong. Even the psychiatrist didn't want to engage. They just wanted to sign me off and send me off somewhere else. Because you can't really deal with your mental health until you start to deal with the causation. It doesn't do any good to be thorough about the effect. It doesn't do any good to talk about things unless you're going to go absolutely to the root of the problem. Because everything else is just horseshit in a handbag. When I came up with the analogy of a scarecrow in a field that wasn't worthy of being attacked by birds, there was nothing to grow there, there was nothing that was going to grow there. It didn't matter who planted it, nothing was going to grow there. But the scarecrow was still there, defending a field that was completely impotent. To the farmer, to the buyer, the field, had no utility. And that's what they made me feel like. I know that they saved my life, whatever that's worth. But last week in group, there were a couple of the others that openly admitted that they tried to kill themselves and they were not crying out for help. You see, it's one of the things that they don't leave in the brochure when you are a suicide. If you survive the suicide. Unfortunately for me, I have survived two attempts. The 
first one, I cut my wrist vertical. The second one, I had my own cocktail of chemicals that I believed would stop my heart. The first attempt, I did not understand the passion and strength of the people on the other side of the door, but I had bled out enough that I could not fight them. And the second time, I woke up in the hospital. All I had done was I had managed to make myself horribly sick, and I apparently vomited just about everywhere. But in those moments, you have to sit there and have people look at you and say, why would you give up life? What is, what is it one thing, or is it just one thing, but what makes you believe that ending it all, all your tomorrows, whatever they may be, nobody knows when they're going to die. Nobody knows how they're going to die. Not until it happens. But the thing is, is that as a suicide, we don't keep time the way you do. You talk about plans, short-term and long-term, minutes and seconds and days and weeks and months. You look at the calendar rotation, and again, you wind up trying to be clever. But what if tomorrow is actually more painful than today? What if next week is worse than this week? What if that scarecrow in that field wants to believe that there is something worth defending? That scarecrow needs that field more than the field needs that scarecrow. Life, the scale of life is not in balance. Every junkie has a regret. But before it was a regret, it was just a simple decision based on near addiction. And you tell yourself again and again that this is what has to be done for you to make it through each and every day. Even for the people that laud over the idea that self-destruction is actually a better way to live a life. How exactly do they know that? How does the field know that it can grow nothing? That it is completely void of nutrients? That it is unhealthy? That it is infected? It is diseased? Mr. Wilson, we do not know why you are here. You don't seem to fit in with the other patients. The second and final time that I was in St. Mary's, I told them, perhaps maybe you chose the wrong profession. Well, inevitably I would go back to the drugs. But I had to start dealing with the reason that I wanted to escape, the reason that I wanted to become numb. And going back 
dealing with the teacher and the rape and the abuse, dealing with the death of Mark, dealing with the death of my father and my sister, dealing with life choices, decisions. They had become regrets. And again, that was rather humiliating because I really believed that I had lived a life without regret. I had been so selfish. I had been so hedonistic in my wants and desires. Every chance I had, I always took care of myself first. And I always believed that was the best and only way to live a life. But in going back through the definitions of regret, I didn't fundamentally understand these things until I went to detox. And here, I was not surrounded by individuals with PhDs. It is true that there were some people that have bachelor's degrees, but the thing is, everybody in the surround, they were all addicts. They were all users. And the same premise about the, the group. Every guy in the group I know has been abused sexually. So there is no pretense. There is no reason to put up a guard. And that is why the group therapy works. But the difficulty is no joke. There is nothing funny about it. There are some that use humor as their coping mechanism. But then there are group sessions that wind up being nothing but a cry fest. Somebody finally taps into what really happened. And it is a great moment for them, but the fact is is that you bring the abuser back to life. You go back to the moment they got you the first time, the second time, the third time, the 50th time, the 100th time. Then you begin to remember everything. And then you have to admit all those things that you tried to ignore, all those things you buried when you were a kid, that's what I did, and the thing is, is that that's what most of the guys did. They buried what happened to them as deep as they could. And every one of us has had problems with relationships. We've all had issues with our sexuality, some more severe than others. Alcoholism, drug addiction. But being in detox, being around people that used, it did feel strange, but that strangeness making me feel like an oddity, it ended. 
because no one there told me, Mr. Wilson, you don't belong here. You don't fit the, the prototype. Being around people that have been abused, being around people that use drugs, the thing is, is that there is no judgment because we have something in common that the outsider doesn't understand. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have. It doesn't matter how many classes you have taught. It doesn't matter how many books you've published. If you haven't done something horrible to somebody to get your fix, then you don't have a fucking clue. And that really is, at the end of the day, the most important thing. Having that DR period in front of your name, having the big desk, having the big door, having a secretary. It doesn't mean anything because you have no credibility. You don't know what it's like to have a teacher bend you over the desk. and put it inside of you. You have read a case study, maybe you've been able to write a survey, maybe you've interviewed other survivors. But for us, those decisions became regrets. And we have to grieve what we lost, our childhood, the innocence of it. Again and again it plays back around. There is no control group. There is no Stephen Wilson that was not raped in seventh grade. There is no Stephen Wilson that was able to get through life without drugs, without the double life, without the deception. I have no idea what my life would be like. But these people that are degreed and accomplished in their own way in academia, they think in some way they believe that life is better being alive. But it is only the people in the surround, the people in the other chairs, the people in the group, they know what it is like to be a scarecrow in a field that grows nothing. They know exactly what it feels like to have no utility at all. And that just brings us closer together. It is the kindred spirit of the addict. It is the mother womb of the victim. You can never really say enough to describe how you feel. I spent over 36 years on silent mode, now I can't shut up. I go to therapy, I go to NA, I do have a, a podcast. I came through the muck and I do not know for certain 
that next week is going to be better than this week. Nobody can guarantee me that tomorrow is going to be better than today. Nobody can say that. Nobody can tell me that it is better to be alive than dead. When you have been raped, when you have been a victim, when you have been wronged, and you know that there will not be any form of justice, there will be no balance in the scale of life. Nothing is going to grow in that fucking field. And the addict and the victim of abuse, they watch people as they meander through and they look upon the field and they say that they're sorry about what happened. They apologize. It is a shame nothing will grow there. You make an excellent scarecrow. You have been listening to the podcast for the leaves of A Victim Nevermore with Stephen Wilson. My name is Stephen Wilson, and I want you to be a blessing, and I hope that you find serenity.